Sawadee, Krap. That's hello in the Thai language, and Thailand is a very beautiful place. If it also has very very good food, by the way. So if you have not been to Thailand, I highly recommend it. And just in a bit, you're gonna go know why I started the show um, with the with the hello in Thai. But before that, this is 2022. Welcome back to the Product Uncensored Show. I am not sponsored by the Thailand Tourism Board, but this is episode 32. If you are new to the show, you may find the following information helpful. Our videos are on YouTube. And as usual, if you go to YouTube, please do all the good stuff. Please like, please subscribe. And of course, we are also available on all major podcasting platforms, uh, including um, where we trend quite regularly on Apple Podcasts, which is great um, for the show. And finally, if you want to support this show, which is purely voluntary, by the way, there will be a link in the description where you can support this show for the price of a coffee. Okay, that is all the intro that I like to do on the show. Sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record because I say the same thing every episode. But anyway, let's introduce our guest. Our guest is a very special man um, because it was very hard to get him on the show. Truth be told, I was rejected the first time. But as all product managers know, if you don't succeed the first time, you try and try again. And I'm very happy to say that he has uh, agreed to be on the show. And for those of you who have ever been to Thailand, he's probably the most influential product person in the whole of Thailand because he controls the food that you get at 7-Eleven. And Thailand 7-Eleven is something else. So please let me introduce to you the Chief Product Officer of Ascend Bit in Thailand, which is part of the CP Group. He's Brian Clark. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks very much for having me, my man. Uh, I appreciate a lot. Yeah, and, and like like I said in the introduction, you know, I'm just so happy that you know you've come on the show. I think number one, um, I've been trying to get more guests from from Thailand. Uh, I've managed to to get Renato, um, and also I managed to get Chris. Um, yeah, and and I'm really happy to to get you as well. Um, trying to be focusing on you know. Um, markets where you know we don't really hear the superheroes of product from there so i'm super stoked that you're on the show so how are you today Barry? overall i'm doing doing really well my man uh and again i'm really happy to join uh renato does some good stuff here he, he's also brought on uh some pretty big influential product speakers globally uh he's hosted some good events so uh, that, that's a good snag right there uh chris is a consummate professional uh yeah i i'm, I'm stoked to join Far from uh, the the best in the market, but uh, it, it's a small market, which is pretty fun. Like you get to know a lot of the product people around here, a lot of the tech people around here. So mm. kind of that uh, smaller vibe makes a pretty cool community. Uh, very happy to join again. Uh, enjoyed uh, Alfonso uh, dropping. Down. I was really surprised. I think just like you, like devs in Italy, man, they they seem to get dogged. That, that was crazy. Uh, but it was cool. So I, I enjoyed your last podcast as well. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's great. So we're going to, we're going to jump right in, but before we start, I have a very important question for you, right? Cause you've been in Thailand now for like how many years? I don't know. 10, is it seven? Now seven. seven, almost. Okay. So yeah. seven years. So what is your favorite Thai food? Like your ever? Oh man. Uh, I, I'd have to go Khao Soi. Like just good old cow soy is so good, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so for the sake of those who don't know what cow soy is, can you explain what cow soy is? 
Yeah, it's 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 like a soup, but uh, it, they they drop like a, a chicken drumstick in there. They got like these crispy noodles. They got egg noodles. It's it's smooth. It's creamy. It's a little sour. It's a little spicy. It is just it is magnificent in a bowl, uh, and and mm. it's hard to find outside of it, right? Like uh, it's not like a standard dish that, that some people get, uh, but but man, it's really delicious. So so that's my my bee's knees over here. Nice, nice. Yeah, my favorite is the kaukamu. Like I, I love the kaukamu. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, now I'm hungry. Let's let's move on before I get too hungry. So Brian, tell us a bit about um yourself. You know, let let the let the viewers and the listeners know who who Brian is, and uh, yeah, we'd love to get to know you a bit better. I'll try to try to keep it concise and not bore the audience. Um, I, I've been in product for about ten years now. Uh, I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, so I was working at Microsoft, not for Microsoft, but at Microsoft. So I was a, I was a contractor there uh, doing network operations stuff. So I was kind of like layer layer three dev. Uh, I had my CCNA, MCSE. Oh, the good old way, way old school stuff, right? Right? Yeah. I was like, oh, man, this is cool. The days where if you had CCNA, you like you have, you know, achieved something in life in the computer science world. It's like, oh, you CCNA accredited all. <laughs> I was going for CCMP. I'm like, oh, this is going to be big, man. And now it's like, what? So, so it was way back. Uh, and I kind of stumbled into the product side. So we were supporting like the, the distance learning division of Microsoft. Um, it was SharePoint. I started doing some coding on SharePoint to make some little modules. The distance learning team's like, oh, that's cool. Like the, this helps. Like, could we maybe have you do some more stuff on it? And that was my first time kind of building features. Uh, from there, uh, dug it, uh, got my MBA, joined Target. Target was actually probably one of the coolest shops. Uh, so I got to work on uh, buy online, pick up in store. So I was like my my first thing. It was a super cool project, like looking at Omni Channel, which is now uh, pretty massive for them. Mm. So so I got to work on that, deliver it, um, and then kind of floated around, uh, commuted over to Thailand. So so my wife uh, met her in college, right? Uh, she's Thai. I'll go Huskies. Uh, so I'm a UW guy, uh, and and she really wanted to be over here. I, I wanted to get outside of the states and see a broader world. Joined SCB, so pretty big bank over here. They're actually doing some really hot stuff right now. It, it's it, it's pretty good. Uh, ah, so you joined SCB, very very yeah, interesting. Yeah. I did yeah. not fit though, man. Like uh, it, it, they're transforming. They're they're a good spot, but like at the time it was suit only. You know, I started wearing jeans. People are like, you don't wear jeans as an SVP. It's like, well, I'm gonna wear jeans, man. So so it's like it was different, but I, I got to meet some really cool people, and it is a good company. Uh, mm. So so I don't want to. They treated me super well. So so that was pretty fun. We overhauled their their digital banking app, so uh, the SCB app, which is pretty pretty successful. I'm proud of what we did. And then I joined the group, hung out with the group. Uh, we thought we wanted to move back, so I joined Facebook. Whatever you think of Facebook, that was a sweet company. Uh, didn't quite work out due to some family troubles. Uh, it's kind of what you get when you, you marry, uh, someone that from, from a totally different culture than yours, right? Uh, they've got mm. family and those are important, uh, brought it back. And I was fortunate enough to, to rejoin the group. So I've been with, uh, the, the larger CP ecosystem now about five years and, and doing product for, for kind of the whole time. Uh, I love video games. I'm a huge nerd, uh, all that stuff. Uh, I, I'd love to think someday I'll be good at golf and I never will be. <laughs> uh, there's a little bit about me and, uh, hopefully don't drone on and bore everybody. Yeah, golf. golf uh, the game. The games. I understand the golf. Yeah, golf is one game. I. I'm sorry. I. I cannot. I just. I can't wrap my head around it at all. <laughs> I really no, that's can't. Famous, man. <laughs> yeah, because I, I know like a lot of my friends. Um, you know, they they've picked up golf and they always say that you know it's different watching it and playing it 
but even the thought of just walking around hitting a ball because there's no it, it's not in real time right it's not like i can you know tussle for the ball with somebody else it's i'm just standing there waiting for brian to putt and then he goes oh you didn't go in all right so my turn i put my ball so i'm sorry i'm not disparaging golf so sorry golf lovers all oh, no, the dude, just disparage <laughs> away my man uh, yeah that's <laughs> a weird one okay okay so so um was was that your time at Microsoft where you got into product management? What what where was that entry point? You know, unofficially and officially. I think let's start with those two because I know that you know over time talking to so many guests, there always seems to be this you know informal getting in, and then there was the the formal part of it. So maybe let's start with when was the informal time that you kind of sort of realized that that was the way that you were heading, and then we'll talk about the official move in. Yeah, so so the informal time was probably that that first year, right? So uh, I, I was supposed to be a network operations lead for what was called uh, Microsoft Audiovisual, right? And, and a lot of what I was supposed to handle is like there's a lot of training events for Microsoft globally. I was going to provision their their environments, make sure there's the right network security, so these people could access secured uh, data and do their trainings uh, for for people in in Germany. Cool, cool. Uh, what I found myself doing was like ten percent of that. Uh, 80% was actually just event setups. I was like taping projectors down, running cables. Like when you go to a conference and there's your power strip, like Brian was the dude that taped it down there. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Um, and so I, I was a little bored with it. And, and so we were doing like a, a lot of this kind of event support, right? So that was supposed to be my core job. So I uh, carved off some time. And it was like, oh, just how do you get uh, uh, the, the video uploaded automatically? Um, mm. People wanted to do some like, uh, what's the course materials and some previews. So I, I kind of built a little widget in SharePoint, right? And, and I just did these because I, I didn't want to tape stuff to the ground all day, right? I wanted mm. to actually think I was doing something technical uh, with, with my skills. And, and so the distance learning team's like, hey, this is kind of cool. This has helped us. Like, can we get here? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not a SharePoint engineer, but let's check it out. And so we started to offer like a little bit more functionality like now i'd call it a feature set then it was just like something that the, the team wanted that would help uh our, our trainers so so we kind of kept poking around on there for very informally still like 10 percent of my time it, it was more of like a, a side hustle and, and finally the distance learning team was like you know this is cool we, we found value in it uh could, could you join this other team mm. and, and help us on distance learning and so I, I said, sure. Uh, so I joined there uh, and it was still as a subcontractor and, and that kind of rubbed me wrong. Uh, or I, I wanted to be a Microsoft employee and, and at Microsoft, they have like the blue badges. That's like the Microsoft employee. <laughs> and, and it's kind of weird because like people wear that blue badge outside of work. They're like, oh, I'm a Microsoft employee. It was like mm. some swag or something. And, and here I am like, uh, they have orange badges, like a consultant. And then there's the kind of the red badge. You're not a consultant, but you're not there. You're contract to hire. You're kind of floating, right? So I was one of those. Uh, and, and I kept working on their distance learning stuff. So, so we met. We did some conferences. And that was my first time like planning a roadmap. What do we want to do for the, the, the Eastern and Western Europe block for, for their trainings? How are we going to upload course materials? How are we going to have like uh, different products and functionalities? And, and that was kind of it. And, and, and so it was kind of unofficial. It mm -hmm. became official, but it still wasn't like product. It was kind of like program yeah. coordination, stuff like that. It, so, so it was kind of just stumbling into it for a couple of years over at Microsoft. And it wasn't really like the job I was hired to do. I just liked doing it and mm. it found some value. And when was that, you know, when was the, you know, the official entry into product management? And how did you know that, you know, 
that was the time you wanted to do product management? That one came like, uh, so, so after that, I dropped out. Or well, I, didn't drop out. I, I left and I got my MBA. I, I really wanted to become like, I don't know, I had a chip in my shoulder. I'm not good enough for Microsoft. Like we had roadmaps. We built them. There was success. The programs grew. It was like, right? Like I'm contract to hire. Like hire me, yo. I'm, I'm hustling for you. I felt, and, and I couldn't get in. So I'm like, you know, maybe uh, going back to school would help out a little bit. It seems like something. Um, and, and so I went and, and I got an internship at Yahoo. Um, and that was a pretty grueling process. Um, Yahoo was kind of on its tail end, right? But it was still Yahoo, not, not like the Yahoo of the, the glory days, but it was still there. Uh, that was mm. right when Marissa Mayer took over and there was a lot of hope, like she was going to turn that thing around. Yeah. Uh, so, so I went through all these, these brutal interviews, a bunch of MBA stuff. It was all kind of weird, but, um, at the end of it and you passed it, there were two things you could apply for. One was product marketing and the other was product management. I'm like, oh, I think I actually want to do product marketing. Like, I kind of like this go to market. I like the advertise. I like the creative. And mm -hmm. there was a guy named Alexander Linares. And he's who, like, you went through these five interviews, right? Uh, and you, you did this huge kind of process. And, and me and Alex really clicked. And he was hiring for a team. And Alex is like, hey, man, like, I, I heard that maybe you're going to pick uh, product marketing. Like, are, are you sure you want to do here? Like, you should really. And, and he pulled me aside, and and we we hung out a little bit. Um, and he was the one that really sold me, like, come to here, do product management. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I I got into there, and I he, he was my mentor, and, and then another mentor. Uh, I was fortunate to meet this guy named Sachin Saxena. He's now the VP of product for Coinbase. So so I had two good dudes, like vets for for a new nascent industry that that really mm -hmm. like. I think helped me understand how cool it was. And from that internship, it was like, okay, I, I don't want to do anything else for the rest of my career. And that was uh, 2012. Yeah. Now it's uh, 2022. So that was like the hard entry point. And it was really, okay. I think, because I had those two guys really, really yeah. like helped me understand how cool this could be. Okay. Let's talk about Alex a little bit, right? Because you said that you were more partial towards product marketing. But um, after speaking to Alex, you decided to to join the product management team. Um, instead, so was it because of of Alex, the manager, Alex, the person that made you decide to to join product management instead of product? It marketing? was all Alex, the person. Um, okay, he he was he was younger than me. Uh, he he was a developer, right? Um, hmm. So so he went on to become like VP at Headspace, really cool uh, product shop that tries to get you like mental health. They're blown up, and now he's uh, the CPO at Found. Uh, so so he's a really he's a beast, okay. and, and and I connected with him. He was just super energetic, and my interview with him was very unconventional, very stressful. All whiteboarding, like why would you prioritize this? What was your decision matrix on to here? Like okay, let's doodle on a whiteboard. How can you put this feature here and not here? Like. It was just like, man, this is crazy. It was a very different interview than your standard things. It was very engaged. And at the end of the day, you went through seven of these throughout the day. Like it was, it was a pretty stressful time. And, mm. and Alex is like, dude, I come enjoy what we're doing. Uh, at the time they were working on what was called, uh, I think it was social feed. But, but the big thing was, is this is before Facebook regulated news feed. And mm. then you could tap into it and really get tons of circulation. And Alex on a hackathon, uh, had written what that script was to, to disseminate Yahoo content on Facebook newsfeed. It had like 2 billion pages. It was big and he turned it into a product line and they converted him from the developer to a product manager. And he's like, oh. dude, we, we could do so much cool stuff. Like you don't want to go there. Product marketing is cool, but, but if you really want to drive it, 
it's product management, right? Product marketing is critical, but it's that go to market, like it's not going to be as core to the strategy piece of it. Like if you want to be at the focal point, this is where it is, man. And if, if you want to work with me, which I like the energy, like you got to take this one. Otherwise, I don't know if you, you might get something else. It's like, okay, okay. And it was a paid internship. And when you're doing your MBA, it's like, you're going to pay me how much? Okay. (laughs) This sounds so, so it was really, I think Alex, uh, some of there, and also Mm. the the potential that if not, uh, they didn't know where they placed me within the product marketing. So uh, yeah. So your, so your story, I think echoes a lot of what, you know, there's a lot of um, content out there that talks about, you know, these days, you're not really choosing a job or what they would recommend you to do is not just choose the job, but also choose your boss. Like also choose, you know, the people that you feel you not only can work with, but can learn from. And yeah, I think your story sounds like that. Very similar to to mine as well. My first job in product management had probably the best, you know, line manager that, that I've had in my career, entire career, you know, really helped to teach me all the ropes and not teach me in a way of sit you down and... <clears throat> do a b c one two three but it was more like so why are you doing this you know so it sounds very similar so so for those of you who are listening i think for this episode this would be takeaway number one right if if you had to choose between the role and the people that you can work with i think it it sounds like both of us have benefited from really being able to find the people who can really make you grow and help you become a much better product person so okay Fantastic. Anything you want to add to that, um, Brian? No, I, I say you're spot on, man, especially for younger people, right? And I think some of the people like I've uh, listened to your prior podcast, a lot of them had kind of same stories, right? Like you just recently Alfonso kind of a dev and stumbled into it, right? But, mm. but I think we're a little older generation where product was was new then, right? It, it, it was now it's becoming more of like a, a set career. And I think people can kind of graduate from an undergrad into it. Yeah. Um, but but still, like I, I've had some people just join my team. I maybe want to be a designer because I came from the design, but I like product. And I'm like, you can start here, but but it starts with the person. Start mm. with that person, and, and you aren't going to be pigeonholed on a career. Like if you start with product, you're going to do some design, you're going to do some some data yeah. work. Like well said, my man. Yeah, and that's a that's the beauty about product as well, right? Because it's not so old that everything is already very pure, very um finely um segregated or compartmentalized. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is some structure to it. So I feel like right now, to be honest, it's a great time to go into product management, right? Because like you like you say, right, the days where we were going into it, like we really had no clue what we were doing. Um, or at least that, that was for, for me for sure. And now you have so much resources out there to read, you know, to watch, to listen. And I just feel like, in fact, you know, if I'm being like really, really honest, sometimes I feel a little inadequate because like, I feel like, you know, the younger ones have really stepped up to the plate and they read and consume so much. And then I'm like, oh man, I really got to play catch up. And and then I find myself like, oh, I don't feel so good anymore. But (laughs) yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's move on. So you briefly touched about the fact that you moved from um, San Francisco to, to Thailand. Actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, why Thailand and not any other um, location? But I guess I know the answer now. Um, But I did want to continue down that journey as well as to how hard was it to to switch to 
a, a country outside of the U.S. Because and, and maybe you'd have a different view, right? But from where we are, you know, sitting in Asia, looking at Europe and the U.S., product management that was product management mecca basically. And so for you, what was it like to move from, you know, being product management in Target, in Yahoo, and then coming over to this part of the world where it, it, it definitely wasn't as, as widespread? And I'm not sure whether, you know, in your experience, it was as mature. So that's, that's what I wanted to ask you about that, that move. It, it, it was a hard one. I, I... And like you said, uh, you know, the Valley was was a bigger first mover, kind of the Western societies kind of kind of moved on that. It became more established where in, in Southeast Asia, it's coming up now. Like there's a lot of posts that, that you see on LinkedIn. But in 2016, when I was looking, because I'm like, OK, it'd be kind of cool to get on over there. Um, I, I was at McDonald's for the time. I was actually kind of cool. But then my boss, it goes back to find, find good leaders. I work with their target. She's like this five foot nothing Taiwanese woman that just is a giant. She's, she's just so awesome and inspirational. Like nothing's going to stop on your chain, right? She's like, hey, come join me at McDonald's. We're going to do their innovation labs at San Francisco. Like, dude, this is cool, man. Like, well, whatever you think of McDonald's, like there's some cool stuff that you could do. Um, and, and so we went there and then she was really trying to blaze a different path. And McDonald's at that time was very traditional, man. Like 40, 40 year vets that have been there for forever. And these are like operations people, right? Like, mm -hmm. This is how you do it. And she's like, whoa, buddy, digital's different. So she got pushed out. Uh, our VP got pushed out. They're going to shut down the office. I'm kind of like, well, where do I go? Um, and we talked about Thailand. And uh, and so we started looking. But but again, on LinkedIn and stuff, there's like two jobs. And then you look at the descriptions, like that's project management, man. That, that, that's not product manager. And it was weird. Like uh, my, my wife was able to reach out to her network, right? And, and oddly, there was this guy named Jens Lautner who was uh, the chief strategy officer at the time for SCB. And he was in San Francisco recruiting. Like, okay. And, and somehow we got connected and, and, and we met and, and it went really well. And he's like, you know, we're looking to bring a little bit more product focus. That, that's why I'm here. And because it's a very young thing, we're looking for someone that's maybe got some, some experience, but a lot of energy because it's going to be change management, right? It's like, dude, that sounds pretty cool. And then you heard about the mandate. It's like, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and then I got to meet my direct boss. Uh, his name's uh, Kuntami. He's now the, the managing director of Line BK. He, he's, a, he's a big dude. Um, he, he cool. Gwyn was my other boss. He's now the, the managing director of Central Group's The One Car, which is like their massive loyalty platform. And another guy, Tom, uh, he, he's now the head of EVME for PTT. So it's like these guys at that time were, were kind of Western educated but very like still tie and I clicked with them and I felt mm -hmm. like we had a leader that was really understanding what it was going to take to transform. I had kind of my bosses that were, were guys that kind of got what it meant to be a little bit from a different culture, but could help me understand the tie side. They were really into how do we move this forward? So, so I, I came over and I was fortunate on that one, but, but towards your, your question, I kind of ramble, like there was nothing, like no one knew what product was. I like, no one knew what a sprint was, you know, it was like 2015 and people were like, so what is a backlog? Like, <laughs> oh, man, it's wild, you know? And, and you always had this traditional, the business. Here's the business, developers reported to the business, they put in change requests, you had BAs, you had BRDs. It was like, damn, guys, you're like six years behind it, what, what we've been doing and, and wow. 
So, mm. so it was, it was a, a really hard time on that one, but I think it was successful because I, I had good sponsors. Mm. Um, I, I think where that one really went wrong though, like well, we start off so fun, man. Uh, we had Deloitte digital in there, a couple of small people that actually put us in a completely different building. They're like, we don't want you to be part of the bank. You're going to sit over here and, and you're going to be in this black box. And for three months, like, you, you touch people, you understand what they need in a, a banking app, you look at mood boards, you look at ideation sessions, you do rapid interviews, you're going to sit at a bank and watch people. It's like all the right things that still good companies don't do even now. Yeah. Like SCB from day one was like, boom, and it was, it was sweet. So, so we came up with some good stuff. Um, and then Accenture came in and just for me, blew it up. Man. Like, <laughs> the Accenture time. So on that one, I ended up be, becoming scrum master of pod five. And my developers were in Brazil and I never even met them. So I was just like, mm. I mean, Accenture really just came in and took that over. And it wasn't because of the leaderships. It's just our timelines were too long. Accenture said that they could cut it in half. And anyway, I'm rambling, but it was like product was, was newer. We had to cut our teeth. And then it was supposed to be this change management journey of build our own capabilities and find yeah. a shop that can help us as opposed yeah. to kind of, they, they pushed it over. Uh, it was kind of disappointing on that one. But uh, mm. the, the leadership was still great. The team was still great. But uh, that one got a little, little funky. Just mm. Mm. Yeah. well, let's let let's um, let's go down this rabbit hole a little bit because I think you've said a couple of things which I'm really keen to to touch on a little bit more. Right. So one the first thing that you said that I really was curious about was you were saying that you know SCB was doing great stuff. You know you were part of that that amazing. Like I would say transformation. I mean, it was the the real definition of what Eric Eric Reese wrote yeah. about when it's it's the startup within the enterprise, right? You literally carve something out, you pull them totally out of the system. It's like you un you know un un unblock them from the matrix, and they're really doing you know what's really the new stuff. And then the center comes in, and essentially their pitch to the management would be, yeah, these guys are taking too long, and you know if you 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 talk about you know cost over time. You know x number and we can do that most likely i'm guessing how they would do it is they'll say we'll do it you know cut it by half while still maintaining the cost and blah 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 right that that seems to be the usual spiel standard pitch right yep. yeah yeah and and so this brings a very interesting question to to product because i just talked about this very same question just a few days ago timelines and product management how important is it like really in, in the course of whole, your whole career, like, cause, and, and, and let me, let me first, you know, let me play my card. So you, um, so I'm not, I'm not setting you up because I feel like timelines are, especially when you're not outsourced, if you're part of an organization, you're part of a launch, unless it's something that ties into really massive media partnerships, you know, and things like that. I feel like timelines these days are, just for show most of the time. So I'm, I'm putting my cards all on the table here. I'm totally lying, man. Like if you got a big drop, like a uh, target, it's black Friday. Correct. Yeah. You got to drop some shit. Like that's when you're going to make 80% of your revenue in this couple of months. Right. So, so everyone is just working at frenzy pace. I get that. You yeah. Timeline matters. Hmm. If the rest of it, like if it could come out a month earlier, sure. But, but if your product is going to be compromised or so buggy, you, you're going you're gonna to bastardize your launch, right? So, so I think on, I, I'm, I'm aligned with you, man. Like a, a couple of timelines are, are going to be critical. There's going to be some big gates where your team's got to hustle, right? Yeah. But the rest of it, uh, you can't say, here's the timeline because there has to be a timeline for, for no arbitrary reason. 
Um, and I think it is, as a product person, like, it's our job to help manage the, the senior stakeholders, usually the, the senior people that care mm. about the timeline. Like the, the most senior, like, oh, that's too long. And it's our job to kind of help them understand or weave a narrative that, that might convince them of why. Because yeah. our job is still like, how do you test value the fastest way possible, the most efficient? I'm not trying to bloat my timeline, right? Correct. I'm not trying to, or I shouldn't be trying to get everything into this release. Mm. But, but at the same time, if I if I don't do it somewhat right, like it, it's never going to go anywhere. And there's some things that take a little bit of time. So, so I think you got to have a healthy tension there. But if you just live and die by a, a timeline for an arbitrary reason, it, it's, I, I think, pretty fake. Yeah, yeah. And I think there are ways that, that, that you know, many other leaders have shown, you know, uh, uh, and talked about, written about, like, you know, how do you, you know, have some momentum of data to show you that you're kind of going in the right direction. If you know you're going in the right direction, your, your, your first prototype has been successful, you know you've got it right. Then let's not, you know, try and push it so thin that, like you said, when you go out, it's buggy. Because, so one of the mantras that I usually tell people is that you, you don't have a second chance to make a first impression, right? So mm -hmm. if you're going to have to make a good first impression, like I said, unless there's some really, really important deadline that you need to meet, I think deadlines are probably the first things that you would dispense away with. I mean, they focus on the quality and the scope. Like, you know, like, hey, I, we can't do, you know, all 15 features set that helps people achieve value A. But if we essentially took out these three, We'd still get value A, but probably to a you know smaller percentage, and that's fine. Um, but that, let's not push the, the you know push it just because of timeline sake. Um, so yeah, I think that's one one point. Um, and I wanted to just bring it up on the show because you mentioned it. Um, second point about uh, what you when you were talking about. Could I tie into that one? Because sure. I, I think this is very important for product though. And you hit on something good. How do I show that there's something? And you mentioned okay, I had a prototype that got validated, and, and that's what I mean, like. Our job as product is to say, yes, maybe you feel the timeline is big, but actually we cut the timeline by two months because we, we, we stripped these down. And in the short term, we did here to actually validate it. And, and we did a really dirty POC that was kind of not associated with a brand that showed something like, how do you as a product person get that right narrative to make sure that people can accept the timeline? And I think that's a big part of product. Mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you know, it's making sure we can position our product for success with the right narratives uh, to help it. So instead of it, like, anyway, I think you hit a, a really good point that, that separates okay product managers from good product managers. How do mm. you, how do you defend that with, with compelling evidence that, that shows it's not fluff, but, but it, it's not just like, I, I'm going to cave. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that date. And, and that's a really hard thing because yeah. that's a big part of our job. Uh, so I think you brought up some good points and yeah. we validated it here. Hey, we did here. Like, how do you, how do you crystallize that story? To, to defend what that launch is going to be to make sure that, like you said, you mess it up day one, people aren't coming back. Yeah, I agree. And, and so actually, since you've made that, that point, now, now there's another follow-up question that comes out of it. Like, so there's a difference between fighting for, well, fight is such a negative word, sorry, you know, trying to argue for, you know, less of, you know, timelines and more of the quality and, and the kind of value that we bring. But that's the difference between doing that as a product manager who's an individual contributor versus being a product leader who's having to speak to senior management and to stakeholders. Maybe, maybe you have an experience or, you know, you've got some tips that you can share, but how can we best do that, especially from a leadership position? Because I think what 
Um, well, a lot of people tell me at least, so I'm hoping this is not coming out of my butt, but <laughs> and a lot of people want to know, how do you become good product leaders and not just a product manager? So, and yeah, so what, what are your thoughts in terms of like, how would you make that conversation, especially if it's it's not to, you know, just your line managers, this is to, you know, um, a much more senior group of people, senior management, you know, board members and things like that. The, the best thing I've learned, uh, you have to tailor your message to who your audience is. Who is it? How do they interpret things? What are their trigger states? Uh, what are the things that, that they, they like and what are the things that they don't like? Um, and then what also rings true to you? I, I have kind of my style. I'm kind of a goofy person, even in the boardroom. Like I, I, I don't mind a, a little joke within reason. I, I try to keep a little bit looser. That's just who I am. Mm-hmm. I've been around other product leaders that are very like, very disciplined, very, very data. And I'm not saying I don't try to bring some data, but I try to create a little bit looser atmosphere. So one, be very true to you, who you are that, that's helped you be successful. And everyone's got that different sauce, right? And, and then number two, it's when you're presenting to an audience, what do they need to hear to be able to be convinced? And for different audiences, it's different things. And if you use the same vanilla presentation, you're going to strike out. Like mm. In our group, our senior chairman, he's just ROI. What is my ROI? It's business value. It's it's top level revenue, bottom level revenue, and how do you substantiate that? It's it's only there. And if you kind of go on this more emotional narrative feeling, let me show you through the prototype. Let me show you how the customers received it. You're going to strike out on there, right? Mm-hmm. Where my my chairman, he he really cares about kind of uh, what's your vision? Well, what's the feelings? And, and you kind of relate it to him, like let me picture this. You're in your car, and I pull up the prototype. I see here, I get this message. I go through this journey. I get here. It, it all brings it together. I bring together these different pieces and, and I, I give it at the right time. And for him, that visual narrative works really well. So it's much more of a storyline, clickable prototypes, almost always with him. He really loves guest feedback. So here's the interviews that we did. Here's the mm. prototypes. Like, good. That, that shows me that you're there. Where if I gave that same presentation to uh, another audience, it's like, well, where's your data? Well, where's your revenue? Like how much money am I going to make? And why are you making these decisions? What's your burn rate, right? How much mm. am I going to lose to delay the product by an extra month? And you have to make different presentations for those different stakeholders. Otherwise, I think you're going to strike out. Um, okay. So, so there's my, I think, one of the best things. Be true to yourself, understand who your audience is, and make sure you've got a compelling narrative that, that will help them relate to it. Perfect, perfect. Now, side question here. Are you, do you, what are your thoughts on using PowerPoint presentations to help you with that? I fucking hate PowerPoint. <laughs> I, I really hate PowerPoint. Like, it's a waste of my time. I'm not good at it. It takes forever to make it look pretty. Like, it's, it's bullshit. I think that the, the world needs to move beyond it. At a sim bit, it's all off. Like, whether or not you like a confluence, I, I don't care. Like, mm. whatever your medium is where it's a living, breathing document, I care about problem statement, opportunity size, what's our value to solve it? What are the, the substantiating facts around it? And then, okay, you start there, present it out, and everyone can pre read it. You comment mm. on it, it's a living document. And then, okay, we buy in. And then that document evolves and keeps evolving. By the time it, it's done, like, that thing matured into a, a really robust document that, that everyone used, but it started here, here, here. And, and, and to take that and then make it into slides is such a waste of your time. We mm. have to do it to certain leaderships. Uh, yeah. Like you, you have to. Uh, if I could though, keynote, 
keynote wrecks PowerPoint all day, but both of them take way too much time, man. It's like, I, I just make things. And I've seen so many people have a pretty presentation with nothing behind it. People are like, those slides look really good. So dude, you, you just totally got bought in into bullshit. Like, what are your data points? What is your stanching evidence? Why are you doing it? And if it looks super pretty, cherry on top. I, I hate PowerPoint, man. I, I don't know how you feel, but there's my end rant. <laughs> yeah. Well, I to be honest, I I use PowerPoint because, like you know, like you say, there are people who who love their PowerPoint slides, and I feel like, especially when you're doing like you know, let's say at a conference and things like that, those visual elements help. Um, but yeah, I also think that a lot of people spend way too much time on PowerPoint. And, and this is one of the things that I've spoken to my boss, like, you know, um, she, she's big. You know, so young, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but anyway, <laughs> so like she always goes like, oh, we need to have our town, you know, our all hands and let's talk about, you know, and, and it used to be like, you know, the, the, the teams would go crazy with all these slides. And then we're like, but wait, what's, what's the value? What was the outcome not the output and because you like it'd be really nice you know graphics and things like that but so what did it do um and i think that's where you're right sometimes the the need to look pretty the aesthetic of it kind of takes over the point that it masks you know sometimes issues that we need to ask more questions about it's like hey just because you had this big fat number here they can put onto a graph it doesn't really mean anything um, I think that's where we need to start poking holes. So, yeah. It's just that I was just very curious because you're talking about presentations. I was like, I, I was like yeah, I wanted to just, you know, throw a spanner. No, in the it words. goes back. Like like you said, dude, it's certain things. I'm not going to show up to my board without a presentation. It looks good. It, it's my board. <laughs> I, I'm presenting to one of the family members of the, the, like one of the most influential and powerful families in Southeast Asia. I'm not going to be like, hey, here's Confluence or, or go like, you know, here's my, here's my, Strategy doc, like they don't care. So, so you got to have it. But I agree yeah. in certain other situations, like our town hall, we intentionally have no, no uh, PowerPoint. It's just like have a team give a live demo, uh, kind of informal, because I want my team's energy spent elsewhere. Mm. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, all right. Let, let's before I you know keep sight sidestepping myself. Um, let me go to to where I think uh, we're gonna get lots of interesting things. It's your time at the True Digital Group as the CPO. First question was, how did you know you were ready to make that step up into a CPO role? Or what made you, what made you want to take the job? Yeah. I, I was so scared. Like, am I going to be able to do it here? Right. I was uh, 34. Um, and, and I think what made me take it, though, is uh, the, the opportunity. So I was at SCB. Extension was a little annoying, but I had a really good leadership. Like SCB is a good company, man. They have a mm. vision. And if you look at where they're at now, what they're doing on some of their spin-off, it's cool. It's a good company. And my boss has treated me very good. So I wasn't like, you know, I was a little frustrated with the Extension thing, but overall it was a good gig. I was happy. Um, and I got approached by True Digital. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, they're starting up. It was the same thing. Uh, a new company within the company, but you're going to be at a different location. Uh, it's going to be a different group. Uh, our CTO is a guy named Reed Anderson coming from TurboTax, a San Diego native. So, so me and him really clicked and he was probably the, the best CTO I've ever worked with. Right. So I met him and he was like, Oh, this, this guy's cool. I'd love to work with him. Um, and then so some of the, the board members that interviewed me, um, who's now my boss, uh, were really inspirational. It was like, this is cool. And then I got to meet, uh, Kunsupachai for the interview. 
and 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 to be able to meet you know that guy at, at 34 it's like this guy's taking time to meet me like wow how cool and you could tell that this was something they were going to care about uh they, they were going to put the money they were going to put the time um and, and they they knew that they were a traditional group the telco like these are these are it's a commodity business at the yeah. basis of it and like we need to disrupt it or we're going to put you differently we're going to staff it differently we want to look at it differently as like this is super cool I, i'd be stupid to turn here down um but but i didn't know if i was ready i was really worried okay um, i remember you posting sometime like I, I think it was like a year ago you're like imposter syndrome almost like you're like man i'm working with really smart people and i felt a, a lot of that as well so i didn't know if i was ready but the opportunity was way too good to to not bet on myself mm-hmm. okay and 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 so what came next like how did you make sure that by the time you moved into that role or, or maybe it was after you you started um that you know that you would be ready like did you like did was it reading was it making sure that you had your strength in place was it like hiring you know what were the things that you did once you joined to sort of make sure that you were set up for not just yourself for success but to set up the team and the organization to succeed because they were taking a bet right like you were saying it was a new new group and things like that and actually when i joined um i i was tentative cpo like they're like only if you do well will we give it to you because you you may be a little bit young side of three month eval where where the job wasn't even mine if not right. it's going to be head of product which is still senior and that that's fair it's like to the group our, our group's a little bit uh, more traditional mm. uh, and if you look some of the people have been there for like 40 years I, i was quite young in their eyes i think by silicon valley eyes is like this dude's <laughs> kind of getting old man at 34 like hey And so it's kind of like, huh, uh, odd, but but fair. Let, let's bet on it. And I think what I did is, well, when I was fortunate, I had some good mentors, so I got some good input from them, right? But but then I I just dove into the product, man. We had zero product managers, zero. Uh, McKinsey was actually the, the company helping us bootstrap it. They were a really good group, man. A really good group. Uh, this guy named Dillup, uh, he, he's a really excellent guy, and he's still like very close to me. Um, so, so I had some good people to to kind of lean on within uh, the project that were very vested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of the foundation, so I benefited. M- McKinsey came in and, and stood up the Scrum teams. They stood up the agile process. Like they did. And, and when you think of McKinsey, you may not think of like digital delivery. It's like traditional consultant. But Dillip is a very untraditional guy within mm-hmm. the McKinsey thing. I think that's why he's successful. And, and they really kind of created this interesting startup vibe. So I think they did some trailblazing for me. Yeah. I came in about their their second month in, so they're in their first couple sprints. So they had kind of that baseline going that I don't know if I could have created. So I was lucky there, and then I just dove in, man. Like uh, at, at that time, I I placed priority in hiring because it was just me, and the McKinsey team was rolling off in a month. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, and, and then I I was also writing backlog for two sprints or for two different Scrum teams. So I was like, I was deep in the product, and I wow. think that's why it helped. Like. What is the product? What is everything that it's going to do? How do we get here? What's all the research? And I started writing all of our, our backlog tickets for for two Scrum teams, and just like I, I dove so deep into that every day that that I knew every single facet I possibly could as fast as I could. And, and again, when you're writing the stories and you're looking about how it's going to tie in with our new streaming platform, what does the CMS look like? You started to know all of your dependencies, mm-hmm. and I think that, that helped me kind of get to okay. Here's what we need to do to 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 get this thing live. So, so again, okay. like, uh, talk with a lot of good people, but just what is your product, and, and get super deep into what that product was, and then again, find a staff. Otherwise, I'm going to burn out and die because it's like 80 hours a week. 
Yeah, I can imagine, right? Especially when you're the first product hire. And plus, the 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 team that that was doing it is is you know they they're riding off into the sunset pretty soon. Uh, yes. Okay, yeah. So, um, sorry, I, I'm still going to go down this line because great yes. great stuff here. So you said hiring was your number one priority, and as the CPO, what do you look for when you're hiring? And this is in general, not not just for yeah. for you know um, your your time there. I ask as many questions about who the person is. Like I, I feel that product management is a unique one. Like you, you always hear this, like you you're the mini CEO and stuff like that, right? But but you wear so many odd hats. You could be they come from a development background, they come from a design background. I, I like those two things a lot. Mm. You know, uh, especially people from architecture uh, or from development. Like if I could find someone like there, cool business maybe. But but none of those is going to say you're going to be good. I think what makes a good product manager is, is do you got hustle? Are, are you just are you just passionate and grinding, man? Because to take your product forward, all of us know as product people, you hit so many roadblocks. That's your baby, and you mm. want to bring it into the world, and you have to overcome legal, finance, regulatory, dev constraints, budget. Like you have to fight every day to make your product real. And, and, and you aren't entitled to anything. Some days you have to be a project manager. You're chasing kittens, right? The other day you're, you're like, I don't quite know what this API spec is, but I'm going to go, like, what is it? Yeah, I, got, I got my postman up. I'm, I'm pulling it. I, okay. And, and like the other day you're with designs. Like if you don't have this, I ask a lot of questions about who you are. Mm. I really try to get as much as I can about their personality because maybe you don't have the traditional background, but man, if I see hustle and passion and, and there's some way for me to find that. So I ask a lot of personal questions. Right. I ask a lot of situational questions. What's about product? Uh, and, and then I pressure test them. So I always do do like, okay, what's your favorite product? Okay. What are you going to do to fix it? Mm. Okay. Now, now pull out a piece of paper and we're going to doodle. Because I put you in soup. Like, uh, uh, how do you think on your feet? And if you as a product person haven't thought about how you'd make something better, then you don't care. You're just doing your job. Yeah. Like as product people, all of us like, oh my God, why'd you do that? This is so stupid. Like, can we please fix this? It'd be so sweet. And, and, and when you hear people talk about like, oh, it's this and, and like, look, and they're just into it. It's like, oh, this person's got some, they're, they're possessed. There's something mm. there. So as much as I can, I spend like 15 minutes on this product journey. Like again, what's your favorite product? Go through it. How do you prototype it? What would your calls to action be? What would be some dependencies? How do you bring it to market? Blah, blah, blah. Like there. And, and then I spend like 30 minutes. Like, what do you do? When mm. you're not doing work, well, what do you do? Like, uh, if I talk with your friends, what they say about you, I ask a lot of just personal questions. Uh, so I think some people may think it's weird, but I'm betting on the person, less mm. on their skill set, because product's still not taught in school, right? Like, yeah. There still isn't like a set curriculum. So if I find someone that's got hustle and passion, like I look at you, you got a podcast that, that and you keep it going. Like, dude, the guy's dedicated and to keep making a show takes time and effort. He's grinding on what he's passionate about. You look at the LinkedIn posts, it's like, Oh, this guy's talking about it a lot, man. And when I've seen you talk about some of the things that you do, it's like, this is a person that you can tell cares about what they're doing. And those are the people that you try to look at. So, so I, I look at those things and try to see, like, is there some things that they've done that they can help me understand that they, they've got the drive? Long-winded nice. question, but I think it's so important for product, man. If you don't have passion, you're not going to be good at this job. Yeah. Like it, it, you have to fight every day, man. No, I fully agree. I, I I can't remember who I was speaking. I think it was Alfonso's podcast where we we covered this topic about you know passion and purpose. Um, and you're right. I think you know for me, you are able to get by if you just you recognize your purpose, and then you you're fine in that in that point. Mm -hmm. But if you want to know what differentiates good from great, 
it's where that passion comes in, right? Because like you say, you, you, you can feel it. Like when you speak to somebody and you're asking them certain questions and then you, you feel it. It's like, it's like, Oh, you know, I get so frustrated when I do this. It's like, okay. Like, like now you're feeling it. And, and I think that's where there's a difference between those who are passionate and those who are just being there for, for a purpose. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, a different, different time, different place, the person who knows his purpose is good. Um, but I think, it, it, again, for, for those who are listening and watching, right, you want, I am guessing you're listening because you want to go somewhere. Then I think that passion really has to drive you because, you know, you've got to set yourself on fire sometimes um, just to make things work. Um, yeah. So again, now you've hired these people who are great, not necessarily having, you know, the right paper credentials, so to speak, but, you know, they're the hustle. How, how do you go about making sure that they can then become great product managers? Because some of them, like you say, they may not have the good fundamentals. Like what are your, um, what are your tools of choice or, you know, what are your methods of choice to really start building a product team, especially from an indiv- individual perspective? Like do you like send, do you like create great documentation and send them over to Confluence to read? Um, do you have a buddy system? What is it that you do? Yeah, and this was important, especially in Thailand at that time. Like, product didn't exist, right? It, mm. it was very new. So it was very hard to find anyone with real product experience within the market. Um, so, so one of the first things, it was like a product playbook. I ran it by my managers. That was actually in PowerPoint, and it did actually look pretty good. <laughs> but I, I spent I spent like 40 hours, 50 hours trying to get, like, what is, how do you define an MVP? Like, how do you really break it down? How do you test value every step of it? Uh, what is a good backlog? What do you take into backlog grooming? Like I, I went really hardcore on there. Mm-hmm. And then doing onboardings, we take chapters of the playbook and, and I'd spend real time going through like, okay, we're talking like, and this is a, a convention I hope we would be on, but for now, how do you write a good user story? Like how is it detailed, uh, prescriptive, uh, thorough and, and, and broken down? And I'd give them like, okay, here's a design. How would you break this down versus what, what you read? Okay, and then I have a developer come over and be like, is this definite for you? They're like, no, 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 I think you could break this down. I'm like, okay, you do that exercise. Like, I, I spent time on each part of that. Okay. So, so again, having a really detailed training of what I thought was good, I uh, ran it by my mentors, had some good sauce, and then a lot of time in like trainings, 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 taking some of those and, and, and really relentlessly working through it, right? Here's a good mm. strategy document. Here's how you keep roadmaps updated. And, and I spent a lot of time on, on hands-on trainings, yep. um, kind of like your own curriculum. So, so there's how I did it uh, to, mm-hmm. to kind of make sure that people were, were learning the right things. Okay. And for you, when you hire a new product person, how, how, what's the timing that you would give before you expect them to be shipping value? Are you, are you in the camp that says you need to be shipping value on day one or are you the type that, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't get that one. Like, dude, your first couple of weeks, like, where's my paycheck coming from? What, like, anyone that jumps in and thinks they're going to solve something, I don't want on my team. And I understand organizations that do it, but unless you know the context, like, sometimes you open up a pot and you're like, that's kind of dumb. We should fix it. It's like, you don't think we're, we know that too, but here is why we didn't fix it. It's because of this and this. Oh, and yes. This. It's like, yes. Oh, and, and you just come in kind of like this. I'm so much smarter. And even if you're not trying to be, you're just trying to add value. But I think when you ask people to immediate deliver, it's positioned for failure. You have mm. to understand context. So I do uh, your first month, I want, I, I do a ton of get to know you. like I bury my team and get to know you. 
uh, I spend a lot of time on strategy. So I'll, so I'll take like three-ish hours each week for your first couple of weeks. And I just go through backgrounds. Here's our strategy. Here's how we got to you. Here's what we did. Like I want them to understand there and tons of get to know you's. And I include them in as many meetings as I can. I don't like mm-hmm. meetings, but I want them to get context. And yeah. all I say is ask every question you can. I don't want to hear an opinion, please. Mm-hmm. Like just ask a lot. And at the end of your 30 days, I want your roadmap, not what we're going to do. It's, it's yours. You brought in your outside knowledge. There's a reason we hired you. You asked a lot of questions. You got new eyes. After 30 days, it's what is your roadmap? Not even saying it's the right roadmap. And then mm. why? And, and we dive deep. Like, what's your logic? How did you reach this conclusion? Like, what is that? And that's all I do. 60 days, I, I say like, okay, you started to take over some scrum things. Maybe mm. you, you're maybe helping lead a couple of meetings that are, are there, but not immediately important, right? Like you're working kind of your next month out. So you're starting to take a more visual approach to it. People start to associate you with this new product line, but you mm. still you're like a if it's a like a RC car or a rally car. You're the dude in the passenger seat, like turn left, turn right, turn left, but you aren't driving yet. So your second month, you're kind of there. You're helping steer this thing, but you're not the person. Yeah. And then in your third month, I, I want you to transition to your person to, to the driver, and, and you've had a release. It's maybe not a big release. It may be just small, but you've managed your dev team. You've taken over backlog grooming, like that backlog, George. You are now the person driving the car. So I give three months, and then I judge success after six. It, it takes six months until I can say, like, are, are you doing some good stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's how I break it down. I, I really try to position teams for success, and I yeah. don't think it comes in, like, deliver your first day. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, but I, I, I can totally empathize with the one where you know people come in and go hey why do we fix this this and this is so easy it's like i just got this feedback as well you know we've got this someone who's really passionate about you know these are like our champions you know they they use the product so much they 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 really want to see succeed and then she sends this video and goes oh you didn't change this and this and this like it's like we know we know all this but it's just that and i finally got to speak to her by the way and then i told her, like look it's it's easy on the outside to say why we didn't fix this but here's the reason it's, it's a literal domino effect we had to fix this and then this and then this before we could fix this one little part which you saw which you thought was really easy to do and and that's why I also feel like you know um i said this yesterday um when i was on a, on another call Product managers, we empathize very well with end users, but I think we also need to learn how to empathize with our peers and people within the organization, right? Because we we slam, like, you know, you, it's so easy to just go and say, you know what, if I was managing this product, I would change this, this, and this. But you're not in there. You have no idea of what the internal situation is like. You have no clue what legacy code, spaghetti code they've got in there that, you know, six developers have tried to fix and failed and left. Um, and I think that we need to extend that empathy to, to our peers because it's so easy to trash people these days. You know, sometimes LinkedIn feels almost like the new Twitter or the new Facebook where people just go there and go flame somebody else. And yeah, I think that's just not, not the right way to do it. So I think in context to what you said about onboarding new hires and really giving them time to you know get used to the fact that you are now going to be a driver of this car. I'm, I'm learn, letting you learn the map, the roads. I'm going to take you daily on your rounds to the day where you go, you know what, this is now your car. Go drive it. Go make me proud, right? Um, I think that's that's really important. 
Yeah, that's great. And that's go great. on there for, for, for product people joining as you join a new company, take that passion. Like you said, that, that individual is like, why don't you fix that? I've had it happen too. And it just, it, it triggered me. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm not dumb, but, but you flip your question. Hey, I see here. And it's, it's really weird. Why, why is it like that? I'm yes. sure there's a good reason. And then it's like, Oh, I love it. They understood the pain point, but they didn't have the hubris to think that they're the only ones that saw it. And then you, you, you help show that you're thinking critically about what, what this is. You show that you like it and, and you want to make it better, but you also show that you're willing to learn and understand. So, so take yeah. that same thing and just phrase it. This is weird. I'm sure you guys know about it, but, but why did we get here? I'd love to hear the background. And, and, and it's like, Oh, great. And that's just going to help you so much because then you get the, the context and then you're going to know where your landmines are. So it's maybe you inherit that and have to solve it. Mm-hmm. You don't just blow off your leg. Right? So, so it's, it's a very good point that you brought up. It's how you raise those things that I think will help too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk about something because you were saying, you know, one of the things that you do when you, you, you deep dived a lot into writing down, you know, what are the principles, you know, what are important things for people to be onboarding. And one of the, the example that you use was user stories. Um, but I also, but I also know that you, re- I think it was recent that you posted something about having less user stories or the no, no ticket method of, of product management. Um, and you were actually drawing on your time in, in Facebook um, as well. And I'm very keen to understand how that works because it's, again, it's like one of these utopian things that I've always heard of, but I've never spoken to an actual person who has seen it in, in action. And I'm very curious, how does this method work where there is less tickets? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Talk me through it. <laughs> It was my my first time, and to be fair, like uh, I joined Facebook, so I mentioned that woman Anya Chang. Yeah. Uh, I work with her Target, work with her at McDonald's, and, and surprise, she, she was the one that uh, helped helped me come back there. So I actually joined in product marketing, which was very weird. Like I uh, I had a lot of hesitancy. I, mm-hmm. I think why I did was one, I was building brand websites, so I was still building things for the brand teams. I didn't have to worry about any backend. It was just like sweet parallax. It's like <laughs> God, this is like. This is a dream. And the brand team's like, you mean you don't care about the colors? I'm like, no, 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 you, you tell me. I just want it to be super beautiful. So it's fun. And, and Facebook has a lot of mobility. You do good in here. After one year, you can move around. So, so I took that. But, but I was kind of outside looking in. I wasn't on the product side. Um, mm. but, but obviously working very close with the product team. And, and what was weird for me is uh, we're on this product line and, and we had a QA guy. And we were getting some food. He's like, hey, Brian, you know how many QA people we have at Facebook? I'm like, Oh, you guys got to have like 500. I don't, I don't know. He's like mm. seven. I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like seven globally. I'm like, dude, you got to be keen. He's like, no. I'm like, how, how does this happen? He's like, well, the devs just all write all their own unit test cases. They, they, they own their code start to finish. So there's no QA, right? And I think that that's obviously very non-standard. Uh, mm. Most companies always have a QA. Uh, See, so like, oh, that that's weird. And then you start to kind of peel back. And when I went to onboarding, every developer went through dev bootcamp for two weeks. And Facebook recruits just geez, like these men and women can just cope, you know, so it's not like they don't know how, but they mm-hmm. have a very set system of how they go about compiling code. They built some amazing tools to, to really streamline it and you have to get to know it. And so I think that they started at the bottom of core foundations and these core sense of ownership as a culture. Mm-hmm. So that way it didn't make it so that me as product, I had a detail, like as a user, when I click this button, but I have not authenticated, then show this error message highlighted in red with 
ghost text and when you click on it it erases it and but like you don't have to get there because like yeah i understand thank mm -hmm. you so, so it starts with a, a sense of ownership and they're like so, so you devs they own it yeah. and and because that's the set standard if you don't you're gone man like mm. you're just going to get booted so so devs have a very high sense of ownership it is number one and the tooling is good so they don't need you to hold their hand they don't need you to sign off on a user story right like yeah. when they say it's done that thing is done like there's right. pride it, it, it mm. has been really pushed out and then the other part is i think how product is there most every company minus that one there's still the business cp there's the business sb there's the business right like the credit card team you have the, the business person that's sending the interest rates how much you can get for uh you're qualifying amount what's your point scheme that you're going to get for cash back like the, the business does that and then product helps design the experience around it to deliver on the business goals yeah at facebook there's no business product owns every part of a pno your marketing mm. expense like for me as product marketing we got our budget from product so you have to go to product and, and they want to hear your marketing strategy and if they like it they'll give you your budget as you want to do research it comes from product so so product is is the business and the product that they are they are really strategy right? Like right. every facet of the product, they, they truly are a mini CEO. Like okay. and a lot of people say it, but I think in some businesses we don't find it's like you're a CEO, but not for here, not for here. Like you kind of, but, but you're not like you make trade-off decisions within a sprint. You'll yeah. prioritize a backlog, but you're not setting the interest rate on the credit card, how yeah. people pre-qualify for a home. Like that's the business team. Correct. At, at Facebook, that was product. And because of that product didn't have the bandwidth to get into a user story then there was too much that they were looking at there were columns they were p l they, they were strategy like they owned so much that you didn't have the bandwidth yeah. and, and so then the the final piece that kind of completed that was product design product designs there are super high quality so you'd sit down with your designers and design team and your developers and, and you go over your strategy like you talk product strategy kind of mid to high level and you made sure they really get what we're going for why we're going for it what's going to influence success what are our clear okrs right like mm. what has to be there and what doesn't and then from there they largely turn it over product design takes it over and makes it excellent they show it to product sure but 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 they're super empowered man like the, mm. they own there and it's usually product design and dev work very closely throughout but they still don't write a ticket it's just looking at your design system asking questions and, and it's a lot of like dialogue uh, so a lot of dialogue replaces mm -hmm. tickets. Yeah. So so there's no tickets. Product doesn't okay. write tickets. They they don't do tickets. They don't look at burndowns. Like it's just relentless delivery. And because they have a culture that says if you if you don't uphold this high quality, you're gone. Mm. Like it's just not going to fit. Okay. So so it it was wild. It was super cool. Like I I totally wanted to be a product manager. It was like the mecca of real product. Like you own it, man. That is your bottom line. That is your portfolio. It's mm. the, the closest I've ever been to like pure product. Okay. So so what is the artifact that gets passed around? Is that is it the strategy document that you were talking about? Is that what gets passed around and they they built off that? The, there's two. So so at this time, I think they moved off. It was called Quip, right? It's like that Facebook has a policy that they'll never use an external tool. They, they okay. So, so they build mm. a lot of their own tooling, right? They don't have Jira, Confluence. Sure. Like they, they build their own. Uh, they have Facebook Workplace, stuff like that, right? So, so you get your strategy document, your strategy document, everyone comments offline. Like Facebook has minimal meetings um, and most meetings are 30 minutes. And it's usually, do you want a decision or do you want a discussion? If it's a decision, what is the decision that you want? And you better have supporting evidence that people already looked over. 
Wow. And if it's a discussion, what are you going to discuss? Why are you going to discuss it? And there better be something anchoring the discussion, like data fact based. So the discussion, here's why I'd like to focus on. And because of that, everyone's kind of read offline these documents. You get tons of comments, tons of craziness, and the document kind of becomes just gnarly. But but that becomes like everyone knows what's up, right? Mm. So use that to kind of anchor your core strategy. And, and then so, so that, that kind of gets handed around so people will understand it. And, and devs usually may not partake as much, but they're still looking at the strategy. I, I think devs, right. they really care about why are we building it? How's it going to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's one artifact that, that gets passed around. But the, the main one that, that links dev to it is the design system. They have what's called design backpack. I mean, most companies use Figma, right? Yeah. Um, but they built an internal tool and, and that's where like your developers go. Like the, right. they go there, they look at what your design system is uh, and they take that and they, they write off of those artifacts. Mm-hmm. And then just some discussions like, hey, what is this? Why do we do it? Okay. And if something's okay. needed, like the, the team just kind of like you post on Facebook workplace, use what I've got, I want to ask here, cool, done. Like it's a very fluid offline type of mm. conversation uh, anchored right. around those two artifacts. And and do you think the the lack of a need for tickets or tasks is because of the design system or, or because the dev teams themselves are also empowered to push back and say, well, I don't really agree with this or, or is that already done uh, again in that strategy document? So I'm, I'm just, I really want to understand this because this is so, this is so insane to me. Like. It, it was so cool, Colin. I have to say, like uh, whatever people might think of, of Facebook or Meta now, right? Inside, it was the best run company and the coolest company. Uh, it, it ended too soon. Uh, I, I really would have loved to, to see what it was like uh, more. Mm. Um, but but it, it starts with they take semi annual planning religiously, man. Like uh, so, we work on a product called Express Wi Fi. They literally flew out like thirty five people from all around the world to Israel, where we're out of Tel Aviv. And Facebook, you get to fly business, man. Like that's an expensive to get 35 people to Tel Aviv, right? And, and we went there for a week and a half. Facebook plunked down bucks and you did that semi-annually. You got all of your dev, you got mm. all of your product, you got all of your market, you got everybody together. And it was product-led. Product, like those poor men and women probably burned out leading up to it. Getting all the right structure of what we're going to discuss. They present it for a day. You do this huge offline element for like a week of workshops, tech track, product tracks, marketing tracks, smash it all back together. Next week is kind of program readouts. The VPs even flew out, right? So we had very senior people that would come in like, okay, I like you. And that that two and a half weeks, it was probably more like a month because there were some pre, pre-activities, right? Mm-hmm. But that relentless two weeks of everybody on this program going so deep into it, you came out with a roadmap for six months that you didn't mess with. Yes, it could shift a little bit, but but Facebook, while while they say move fast, right? They move fast, but off of really hardcore planning, really decision, data, tech baseline. So once you came up with that strategy, everyone just went like madmen and women, man. Like you knew what you were doing. You, you had such good alignment reading into it. And, and that two weeks was exhausted, man. You were there for like 13, 14 hours, and then you had tea dinners, but it's like everyone was on the same page. Like no one would say like, is it Airbnb? Hey, instantly. And, and, and because of that, the, the rest is just kind of actions and, and right. people are empowered throughout it. But uh, it was, I think, really that planning and, and the culture around like do excellence or just don't be here. Mm-hmm. But man, I mean, from everything that you said, like like you say, right, regardless of what we think of, you know, the leadership and, and the stuff they've got going on now, it really does sound like this would be product utopia. Like if, if you could get in, like you say, right? 
there are not many places where I can truly honestly say that the product manager is the mini CEO. And this sounds like it is it. Like if anyone could push back and say, no, that's not true. There is a place where that, that, that statement rings true. That sounds like it. Yeah, but I, I guess the takeaway for me listening to all of this is, and it's something that, you know, a lot of people have touched about, you know, Marty's a big fan of this as well, is just creating this shared understanding because, and, and that's what you get as a consequence of this meticulous planning such that people understand the strategy. So like your big bucket stuff, you're really making a conscious choice to focus on that. And then finally, when you say, okay, now I'm giving you the car keys, go drive. And in, in, this, in this analogy, it's not just for the product manager, but the devs and everybody else, it's very clear what they're going to do. There is very little need to then argue over, hey, why are we building this feature? Because you should know already. And if you don't, like you said, they're probably gone. So, wow, this is, this is, Wow, this is intense and 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 exciting and crazy, all at the same time. This this is nuts. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I do want to ask you though, if you, if uh, you you tell me whether whether you know uh, you could answer this or not. Um, like why why did you stay? Family. Um, okay. Okay. Family. So so um, we won't go too deep into it, but. Sure, uh, sure. In, in Southeast Asia, family is very important. Uh, my, my wife is uh, an, an only daughter and the family unit is big. And we really thought we were going to move back to the States because uh, we had two little boys. Do we want to raise them stateside or not? There was a big discussion and we're like, mm. okay. And then Anya calls me and I, I, I love Anya. Uh, like, so if I got in, we talked about there, you follow a good boss, man. And, and I was like, man, I got to work for her at Facebook. Like, I think this is the signal that we were looking for. Like, right? This is it. And, and so there, and then so some things happened that, that just okay. made it so my family couldn't join me. And after about nine months of doing long distance and seeing my kids twice, it's like, uh, okay. And it still rankles me because Facebook, like uh, I went through my, my mid-year review and I got good. Like they do it either bad and you'll probably get fired after a year. So if your mid-year, if you do like your needs adjustment, that pretty much is signaling after you, you're going to be out of work, man. Uh, and then you fall into the, the middle bucket, which is you're doing good. And then there's like the exceed. And that's very rare because these are like mm. super driven. I got in the middle of the bucket. like, okay. But everyone's like, okay, we, we really want to see your next half of, are you able to meet your, your goals? Right. Um, and so it's going to be a big part of it. Um, and I had to leave before I got that, that final year. Um, and I really want to know, like, I think I was going to pass. I, I found out that we hit all of our KPIs. So I probably would have. But, but I never know, like, was I good enough to, like, pass mm. this one year? Because that one year is, is a big gate at Facebook. Like, okay. there was something I never got through, like, that that full review. And that one still really bothers me. Uh, okay. It really bothers me. Yeah. But, but family, okay. my man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I mean, from all that you've said, right, you know, I, I would have thought that, you know, product marketing was probably your way in. And then after you get the one, it's like, then you figure your way out that was into a master production. plan dude like oh watch this and on is like just come and help me like they need help building websites for marketing it's cool like do good we'll network and, and, and you'll you'll move and that was the pitch it was all there but it, but again like i, I okay. don't know was i mm. gonna get laid off i don't know i don't think i was but but i will never know in my head like if i was gonna mm. if i was gonna cut the grade yeah. yeah okay so then the question that comes out of this was because you've you've had the experience of being the chief product officer in a traditional company where they've pulled out that digital, you know, created this, this, this new 
ecosystem or whatever you want to call that. And you've also been, you know, product marketing in Facebook, right? How how would you compare like those two in terms of like, did you feel that the roles in terms of responsibilities were the same? Because so again, let me let me put my cards on the table so I, you, you, I'm, I'm clear of where I'm coming from. Like <clears throat> sometimes when you're in a startup, the smaller organization, like your role is, you know, um, senior product manager or something like that. But that doesn't translate exactly to being a senior product manager in a very product-driven company, like say Facebook. So I'm just trying to understand what the bar was between the two. They're very different. I'm actually fortunate that I, I sat on that, right? I, it helped me understand how critically important product marketing is to, to success. Like, And they do some boring stuff, but it's so critical. Like, how do you align all your sales channels? So you're going to go live and mm. someone has an issue. That's real, man. Like, hey, I, the product didn't work. I need help. And if you don't get that, you get mad at your product, right? Yeah. They, they did tons of that stuff. Like, helping all the different support teams, composing the scripts, understanding the product flow. And, and then also what channel am I going to go to to make sure that people understand what feature do I want to talk about? Uh, it really helped me understand how critical that role is, but it also helped me understand how important because they, they bring back marketing signals. Like as product people, I, I look at our data, like what are people saying on the app store? Sure, sure. Uh, I, I look at obviously your GA or mix panel, wherever you use, mm. like I click here, I click here. Like you, you make these decisions, right? But, but they really brought in like the voice of like social sentiment, right? Like they, they mm. helped you on a vector that I didn't always get. Or here's all the call center. Like I, I try to look at that, but they made it more real. I, I felt right. that they were just like a good marketing, man marketing manager to your product is going to make it so good. Um, mm. But it was very different between those two companies yeah. or, or, or okay. at Facebook. So it was, it was a very different role, but I right. helped me understand how, how important what those, those people did is. Okay. 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 Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I still have lots of questions and 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 I and I suspect I'm not gonna be able to get into a send bit too much because I, I was actually curious to um talk a little bit about the technology because it's using blockchain and you know the whole web 3.0, but I suspect we won't have enough time. So in the interest of you know this being a product podcast, so let's stay with you know the whole product side of things. Um the, the question that I had also, um, and this goes back to as a leader who's hiring um, as well, right? Um, the conundrum for a lot of um, product managers now, I think especially those who are trying to make you know, space for themselves, a name for themselves, is like, how would you plan your career? So I want to ask you, as the person who hires, do you place higher emphasis on product managers who stayed in an organization and grown in their roles? Or do you look at people who have, you know, achieved things despite the, the whatever length of duration that they were in the organization? You know, what is it that you would look for um, in terms of, you know, candidates that you'd hire into more senior roles? This is a good one. And, and, and my LinkedIn is kind of fraught, like in, Target until now is uh, my longest duration is two and a half years. So I don't exactly have this, this massively consistent uh, deal. You know, I did two years at two digital left and now I'm here for like two and a half. So it's like, I still haven't really cracked three years consistently at one company. Now you are, anyway, I, I try to look at both. Uh, if it's going to be a senior thing, you better at least show it at one point, some consistency somewhere. Otherwise I just feel like if the goal gets tough, you're going to bounce. 
mm-hmm. and with where the scene is in Southeast Asia, it's so hot right now for 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 certain talent that they get a little frustrated and someone's knocking and they're just going to bounce. So so mm-hmm. I think you have to have some consistency at least some point, right? If every job in the last four years is a year, a year, a year, a year, it's like, oh man, I I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you going to be with me? Like I, I think two years is good. Like, did you do three at a certain spot that was good? Like, you know, hey, I, I was happy at that company. You showed me. It's like, okay. Um, and so, so part of it uh, is you got to have at least a little bit. Otherwise, can, can you really deliver something? Can, mm-hmm. can you really ride the up and the down? Because maybe I release a product. It's got its product life cycle. Like, can you keep it going? Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part that's probably more important is what did you release and what did it do? Like, uh, Sachin said, like, and this stuck with me, this product you only as good as your last release. Just because you did something cool four years ago, who cares, man? Like, well, what did you do in your last drop? Was it good? Can you can you stay with it? I don't mm. care that you dropped something four years ago and it got downloaded. So I, I care about that one a lot. But if it's going to be a senior person, um, I, I want to see at least that, that you can go with some some adversity, man. Like right. you dealt with some bullshit and, and you, mm. you fought through it and you stayed on task. Like, so, so it's got to be a mix. But I also think with where it's at, it, it, it's harder and harder to find someone's like, oh, I did five years. That's just not our industry anymore. Yeah. But, you know, so so you got to kind of find a blend. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because one of the more interesting ones, and this is this a personal anecdote about, about this was, uh, there was one someone who who asked me this really weird question um, I was interviewing for, for, for a senior role. Um, and, and he goes, um, so do you think you could stay with this company for these three years? I'm like, dude, I can't even answer you that question. I know nothing about your company, like outside of the you know research that I've done on, you know, on searching and things like that. But how would I know? Like, how do you even answer that question? Can you at least stay with us for three years? Like, I don't know. I, so, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's one of those really. I've only had that question asked to me once, and I never ask questions to anyone I want to hire because it doesn't make sense, right? Unless I'm asking you like, you know, hey, this is a project that potentially could roll out over three years and this is the plan. But even then, I can't force you to stay for three years. If if I'm a crappy manager, you're going to leave. If the company's crappy, yeah. you're going to leave. So, <laughs> okay, sorry. I think that, that one's weird, man. No, no, no. I'd be like, well, let me ask you, can you treat me good? Can you empower me? Exactly. Can we make sure that we've got some good company culture. I, I don't know, dude. Like, if you tell me those things, I, I'd like to probably stay here three years. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, like your point, man. <laughs> this, I thought that's exactly what I told the guys. Like, you know, if I'm consistently being able to bring value, and and you know, the, the company values me as much as I bring the value, then sure, it's got to be more than three years. Yeah. But at, at this point in time, I don't know anything for me to make a guarantee that I'll stay for three years. That's like asking me to predict the future that I don't I know. I'm a product manager, not, not a clairvoyant. So. <laughs> All right. Um, we're actually quite um, past the hour. Um, and, and I would love to, you know, again, this is what I say to all guests, right? I'm probably going to have to do one or two things sooner rather than later. One is I'm going to make this a really full long form podcast where we do the joe rogan three hour type sessions or i'm gonna to have to get you guys to come back for part two because like like i said i didn't get to touch very much on the send bit at all and i, and I do apologize because there were some interesting things i want to find out but yeah. i'd rather talk more about the product side of it man like uh, i i think as product people right we 
it's about product. I can apply product at, at a blockchain company and an e-commerce company, but you're still applying product. So I, I'm glad yeah. that we talk more about okay. there and, and less a, a plug on Web3 or something. Sure. But okay, but let me let me end this section of it by asking you one question uh, about your, your time at Ascendbit, right? Because you're dealing, like I said, uh, for, for listeners and, and viewers as well. So Ascendbit, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, Ascendbit deals with uh, using blockchain technology in order to um, to work on things like uh, supply chain um, and all this. So it, you are pretty much working in you know the Web 3.0 universe. And the question that I wanted to ask you is, what does this mean for product management? This new world, you know, the metaverse, you know, blockchain, NFTs, you know, what does that mean for for product management? Or at least, what do you think? Anyway, sorry, yeah. The, the biggest thing I could say is whether or not you directly interface with it now in your product line, right? So, so maybe you aren't doing some Web3 stuff. In your side time, you better. I don't know where it's going to go. It's still too young. Like, am I sold on an NFT being digital art? No. I, I think mm. it's weird because like I can own it, but then someone still takes a screenshot and they're like, it's, but, but that's like, NFTs are going to continue to build. There's some yeah. cool stuff we're doing around invoices. Like in short, whether or not you like the space, like metaverse, is it real? Is it bullshit? Like mm. you better be dabbling heavily. Like you better be spending some time on the weekends because it's only going to get bigger, man. And and if it's not some of those flashier things, just like what you can automate using an open ledger and a smart contract is going to save things from like back office tool sets, right? Mm. Like how long it takes to enroll a supplier. Many of these manual processes, they're going to shift. So I, I, I feel, and I took a bet on this, like I, I moved over here because of it. Like I actually, I went from managing a team of 55 to a team of three. And, and it's because I feel that this space is going to be interesting. So as a product person, whether or not you're all about it, you better dabble. Like you mm. better join some trainings. You better have some side hustle. Like you better be checking out one piece of here. Yeah. Otherwise, like I, I think that you're, you're going to miss a big vote. Okay. Okay. And you made a really good point there. And I love that point. So I'm going to just add on to it. Right. So you said you went to, you know, managing a team of 50 to a team of three, because you believed in something that Ascendbit was doing. Um, and I think, you know, you are a perfect example of, of what I tell people um, as well, that, you know, sometimes don't just think about climbing the corporate ladder. Like, you know, I don't know. I get this feeling that a lot of people think, you've made it when you when you lead a big team of you know 50 100 or whatever that is but i i think to me personally more importantly it's if you're finding that there's something that con that you're convicted about whether it's the mission of something or whether you want to try something else i think that's probably more important um, you know financials and everything aside because that's what keeps your passion going that's what keeps you yeah. excited to wake up in the morning and go to work um, so yeah, I think that's that's something that that I really liked about what you were very open to share, right? Because to to some people, it's it's like a step down or even two steps down yeah. for some. Um, but I really appreciate that that candidness and honesty. So thank you so much for that. Um, all right, so yeah, we are really moving on time. So I do apologize, but this is the part of the show that I really enjoy, which is where we talk about a song. And the song that you chose was very interesting. So would you like to tell our listeners and viewers um, the song that you chose and why? 
feel so old, man. Uh, <laughs> but I picked uh, I picked Sublime, and some younger gents gonna be like, "What the hell is this?" But uh, loving uh, what I got, right? Like things are gonna get rough, things are gonna suck. Like life is a grind at, at times, man. It, it's gonna come along and it's gonna kick you right, right in the face. And it's about how you respond and how you stay chill on it. So I just love on that song, right? Like stuff gonna happen, man. But I got some things that I'm happy for that you can't take from me. And I'm going to find some joy in those things and, and just keep on going. And I think that's just important in the world we're at. Nice. So, so I love uh, Sublime's Love It. And, and do, you, do you listen to Sublime in your free time or do you listen to it when you're working? Like, you know, when do you listen to this? Dude, it's, it's usually at like moments, right? Where, where like something big happened or, or something like that and you get my head a little bit right. Like I pull out that song specifically. Uh, but no, normally I'm like a kind of EDM. Like I, I like my electronic style. When okay. I'm just uh, zoning on the work front, right? I, I just go there heavily. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Sublime, for those of you who don't know, right? Um, it, it, They hark back to like what, the 2000s or the late 90s? Somewhere around there. Yeah, late 90s, man. <laughs> late, late 90s. And yeah, I think that was like the pinnacle of alternative music. And uh, yeah, so Sublime was part of that movement. Good God, I just gave away my my error as well. So <laughs> right. we're dating ourselves. Man. Yeah, I know, right? It's like this is the part you know we slide uh, slide away and <laughs> quietly move away. Um, yeah. So okay. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for for being on the show. Uh, this again, it's been so illuminating and so enlightening for me to to understand your story. Um, and also like you know your work experiences. Like we talked a lot about hiring. Um, how how you think about hiring your time at, at, at Facebook or, or Meta now, um, and it's and it's been amazing. And also like you know your take on on the Thai scene and what was happening when you you were there. So thank you so much for all of that. I wish you all the best. But before we leave, um, is there like anything that you would like to say? You know, do you have some advice for our listeners and viewers? The only thing I'd say, like, especially for, for people starting in the craft, just hustle. Like, it, it, what I usually love as a manager, if I find someone that here's a problem and they just help me solve it, or, or maybe they took on a part of a portfolio that wasn't super fun, like writing your activity log. I got to do support. That's not fun. But, but man, if you just help people do those and, and jump into those and you don't give tons of drama. I will promote the shit out of you. Like mm. hustle it, be a team player. Don't be like, this is all I like. This is my one product that only I will do. Things change, man. Like product here, maybe die down this new product, like slide over, find a fit. Like I, I just say, be a team player and, and just hustle it. And don't think something's below you. And if you do something that is below you, higher ups notice it, man. And, and they appreciate it. It's like, I, I want to promote that person. They're, they're low drama they solve fires they're a wet blanket like who is that and and, and try to be more of that man I, it, it's going to help you be very successful that, that's where i think i was able to progress a lot i, I just did front work if it needed to be doing and, and i got it done and people appreciated it so so just hustle on those things a bit it, it, it will help you a lot all right thank you so much and that was brian clark the chief product officer of ascend bit which is part of the cp group um who was on the show today um and yeah just as um a final note you know uh, i think what what brian touched on at the last part is really really awesome like be a team player right you know we it, in these days the culture is always about rock star this rock star that and to be honest i think we lead we need less rock stars and a lot more team players because I think that's how 
organizations win. That's how your product succeeds. Because a rock star is focusing on himself, herself. I want to do the best. But if you're a team player, you do whatever it takes to make the team succeed. So, I think I'll leave that line with with all of you today. So, if you've taken away and nothing else from this show, be a team player. And until then, I'll see you at the next episode. Bye bye, and have a nice day. <laughs>